Aloha, and welcome to SUP FM, the podcast for stand-up paddleboarders everywhere. So with no further ado, let's get out on the water and on with the show. Here are your hosts, Nick and Simon. Aloha, Simon. How are you doing? It's a beautiful day in Portugal. I'm really excited to see who's on the show this week. Who have you been chatting to? And a massive aloha straight back to you, Nick, from the UK, which is currently being buffeted by some horrific weather. So I haven't managed to get out on my paddleboard for a little while now. Um, but uh, I hope that the weather will improve in the next few days and uh, maybe we'll have a bit of swell. Who knows? But Today's episode was a really fun one to record and I hope that you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed recording it. And it answered some questions that I had uh, around SUP Touring. Now SUP Touring is a a particular growth area and uh, one of the things that I enjoy doing when I am stuck on the beach as I am at the moment is to look ahead to the future, to sunnier days, and to think about how I'm going to use my paddleboard to the best effect. And one of the things that I haven't done as much as I'd like to is to go off on a a SUP touring expedition. And the two guests that we've got on today, Will and Ruben from SUP Border Magazine, are something of experts in this area. So it was a great opportunity to ask them the questions that I had around how I plan, what equipment I need and uh, what type of trips I could go into. So if you're looking to expand the use of your paddleboard when things get brighter and and better uh, and you want to spend a bit more time out in nature, then uh, this episode will be a fantastic guide and hopefully a real help to you as well. So I'm really pleased to welcome onto the show Ruben and Will, who are the guys behind SupBorderMag.com. Now, for those not familiar with SupBorder, it's an awesome online resource for any level of paddler, whatever your discipline, and has masses of reviews, inspiration, and how-to videos to help you develop your SUP journey. So guys, welcome to the pod. Hello. Hello, hello. So uh, as regular listeners know, we generally start by finding out about your first SUP experiences. So Ruben, could you start by telling us about how you first came across SUP and your first experience on the water? First came across SUP, right. Well, it was a few years ago now. We were, me and my wife Lucy, who also works on SUP Border, we were doing a sort of big world tour a couple of years away, Australia, New Zealand, Baja. We were sort of kicking the backside out of it, let's say, four children and stuff. And I first saw paddleboarding in Baja. We were down there windsurfing and doing some wave sailing. And there was three guys out on this peak. This would have been in 2008, 2008, 2009, just in that sort of winter period. And I first saw paddleboarding then. And I first thought, I'm not really sure about that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then, but I did see him catching loads of waves. And then I was a bit interested. And then I went back. It was the following winter we went back to New Zealand again and then our friends had a board out there and I went on it and then suddenly the world opened of, I can go surfing, I can go fishing, I can do anything with this. Um, so really for me it was back in 2000, and the winter sort of time, 2008, 2009 and then 
I came back to the UK that following summer or that, that springtime. And then I basically contacted um, the Tushingham, who are the local guys who I was sort of having mm-hmm. a small sponsorship deal for windsurfing through Starboard. And I basically said, what's the smallest paddleboard you've got? Because <laughs> I, I was giving surfing a go in New Zealand then on, on a sup. Um, and they said, oh, I've got a 7-Eleven. I think it was a it was seven, well, Starboard 7-Eleven, I think it was called then. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that was it. And then I started doing some surfing and thought, oh, this is good fun. But it was then I really sort of grasping the, the sort of fishing and the touring and the sort of the other side of it that I realized had this massive potential and it was just there for the taking for as in for our own personal benefit for so many people to use and do anything with. And, and that yeah. was the start of SUP for me. And then um, so when I first saw it, I wasn't really that. I was like, I'm not really sure. And then when I did it, I was like, oh, it is a lot better to do than to watch, mm-hmm. <laughs> which we all know. Exactly. And, and how was your first time on a board? Because it feels a bit different from a, a windsurfer or a, yeah, or a I mean, surfboard. I, I, my background, when I left um, school, went to college and I did outdoor pursuits and I was a canoeing instructor, a kayaking instructor, sailing. I did all the sort of stuff which maybe you do when you don't know what you're quite going to do after school. And I was an instructor in those. And then obviously I'm windsurfing and surfed since I was a young, young kid. So jumping on the board for me was actually pretty simple um mm-hmm. and i had the canoe strokes predominantly that really helped not the kayaking strokes the canoe strokes that really helped straight away it was paddling a straight line and trying j strokes or you know brace strokes mm-hmm. just transferring that t- that stuff i'd learned from a sort of teenager onto that and then so it was a quite a quick transition and then that's why i think for me it was within the first class sessions i was thinking oh shall i uh, you know go fishing now or shall i you know, paddle around to the next break or so I was very early on looking at how I could to further my um, paddling experience, really. Fantastic. And Will, how did you discover it? Um, yeah, well, there was kind of a couple of sessions that probably stand out. Um, I um, After uni, I, I, I studied um, in the southwest of the UK in Plymouth. And then after uni, I moved back to the east coast where I grew up and was doing various jobs. And the local shop there, which is um, Wet and Dry Water Sports, did a, a yearly trip down to South Wales where they'd do a bit of mountain biking and a bit of windsurfing if it all worked. And um, the owner of the shop, Jamie Dodds, um, one year, um, I only went this one time, he he produced a starboard blend 11-2. And mm-hmm. uh, um, I was sort of told to have a go. And I had a go and I was like, oh, this is cool. I'm catching some waves. And then shortly after that, I, I was I was a bit, a bit like Ruben. I was a bit sort of unconvinced by it but I kind of saw some potential a few months after that I moved back to Plymouth to start a new job and a friend um produced some boards and he said oh yeah we're all getting into this and and um, I suppose that was really where I got it I was like oh wow I can go surfing because I'd had that experience on the blend in Wales and then suddenly I was sort of touring around Plymouth Sound and Mm. an amazing piece of water um great for sub touring and suddenly I just saw, oh, I can do so many different things with this. And then shortly after I, I bought myself a board and started doing some surfing. And where I'd had where I'd had a bit of a funny love-hate relationship with surfing, um, I, I suddenly realized that I could progress a lot better with surfing because I was just spending more time on waves, learning yeah. how to surf. And you know, I just suddenly saw all the ways that this sport could go. And I, I was really excited by it. It was incredible, really. So... 
the purpose of this interview is to to do a dive into SUP touring, which is something that I know that you've both had a great deal of experience of. But um, before we get started, um, could you just either of you um, just tell us about uh, SUP Border and um, what it is you do and and how what it is you do can benefit our listeners? Yeah. Okay. Shall I go? Yeah, well, you well, do. That was pointing to me. <laughs> I'll, start, I'll, start, I'll start rambling on. Well, the, our first thing before we when we was, the reason it started SUP Border is it was quite interesting because me and Will obviously we knew each other from windsurfing before, and we were at this. I remember it vividly. We were at this pub once after having a windsurf, and we were like, "Yeah, windsurfing's good." And then, and then we both got onto this conversation about paddleboarding, and then we were like, "Oh yeah, yeah, windsurfing's good, but like paddleboarding and surfing and uh, the, the potential." And then, and then in this sort of comment, a semi-serious comment from me because I, I sort of had this thing in the background about having a website or a magazine resource let's say about paddleboarding because there wasn't really anything there but I said to Will why don't we why don't we start a magazine why don't we start an online website which helps people promote paddleboarding in such an epic way that we're all loving it at the moment and then Will basically just like um yeah okay well and he was just and from that point onwards obviously it was a lot more work and and a lot more chats and board meetings paddling together discussing it Mm -hmm. But that is how we started SUP Border because we were just so enthused by this epic sport that we needed to share and inspire other people to take up this and change their lives. Well, I suppose we, we, were, look, we were looking, weren't we, for a, a magazine that was sharing particularly videos and yeah. helping us get inspired. And we realized that it wasn't there. And we were kind of like, well, if it's not there, why don't we just try and pull something together? Yeah, and, and at that rate, you know, starting a website and a magazine is easy, Simon. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. That was the early days we were like, yeah, this is this is epic. And anyway, it was a couple of years later, and then and then, well, it wasn't even that. It was probably a year later we started subbordermag.com, or what we call it, just subborder, and it's pretty much there to inspire people, educate people to go out paddling, whether you're a first time paddleboarder or improve your paddle technique to just give you the best experience and the best kit for you possible out there that's basically all it's for it's just for the paddlers really yeah absolutely and there is a massive breadth of of content on on there you know and and you know covering all disciplines um including a, a bit of foiling i notice as well this is uh, something that sort of interests me how, how are you engaging with that will you've I, th- I think you've both been doing that haven't you yeah we've yeah. we've been doing quite a lot of foiling for a few years now and yeah we love it it's really nice um sort of add on to paddle boarding and we've been doing a lot of the wing surfing wing foiling as well and um you know we i suppose we've you could argue that that's not paddle boarding but it's kind of an extension of paddle boarding and our readers mm-hmm. seem to love the content we're producing on it so we we keep plugging away at it really and it's a it's a really nice um you know i suppose we there's so much so many areas that you can go paddleboarding, so many disciplines, mm. so much different types of equipment you can get into. There isn't a day that goes past that you can't do something on the water, really. Exactly. Um, um, yeah. It's just a shame we have to uh, to write emails and do that type of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I, you know, I, I think um, you know, producing this podcast, I've I've never done less paddleboarding. I think since, <laughs> since I've been doing this, but um, which, which I'm sure is a story familiar to you. But let, let's uh, let's get on to our main topic of today which is touring and exploration areas which you know you both had a huge amount of experience of 
so again, that's an area with huge diversity. Um, exploration could be, you know, a day trip, a couple of hours, or it could be uh, a multi-day mission. So um, coming to you, first of all, Will, I know you've been on uh, a few epic um, circumnavigations and, and journeys. What I'd really be interested in finding out is a bit of a, a taste of, of some of those trips. So tell us a bit about Ibiza, because you circumnavigated the island with a, a very experienced crew. Was that your first sort of epic journey? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, it's quite an interesting story, really, how I got into it, because um, it, it was uh, I did the trip um, around Ibiza with Kiko Matthews and Charlie Head. Charlie had just returned from the Amazon where he was doing a Red Bull TV documentary over three months and they had a big production crew out there and um, I think it's still available on Red Bull TV, but he wanted kind of a, a bit of a, a wind down trip. So um, he said, well, let's just have a little holiday paddling for a week around Ibiza. And Kiko just sort of asked me on the off chance, am, am I up for it? Um, I had very, very little experience of... Uh, let's say sort of lightweight compact adventures um so i was completely out of my comfort zone and i was sort of well yeah that sounds like that that sounds fun let's do it um the flight was super cheap um ibiza sounded like a really amazing place from what i looked at and uh um yeah a few months later i was on a plane going out there and um yeah it was pretty pretty cool fantastic and um there's um sort of a review and uh, information uh, on sat border clearly but uh, looked like an epic journey sleeping in caves lots of campfires yeah we, we we were completely um we didn't even have a gas cooker so that trip was um really because charlie wanted it to be as hard as possible um we were collecting wood and cooking um on fires which um, from for me coming, you know, I was a, I was a scout and I was a cub, so I'd experienced that type of camping type stuff. I, I'm not I'm familiar with it, but I suppose the kind of li- living um, in that sort of really compact way and going on an adventure was pretty new to me. So I, I got thrown in the deep end, but I finished the trip and I was completely hooked. I was just my head was exploding with ideas of things that I could do and the way that I would like to do trips and where I'd like to paddle and things like that. And, and was that trip? self-supported did you bring all your food with you i mean i know ruben's a bit of a fisherman did you catch your own uh, fish yeah, when you went around there not yet sorry you have, have you caught a fish yet yeah you have actually so i, I have a different story different different times <laughs> <laughs> um no we didn't we didn't uh, catch our own fish or anything like that but we were we'd taken quite a lot of expedition food um but we were just quite limited in terms of you know we weren't we weren't going out and eating at cafes and restaurants we would get to our we paddle all day get to our camp spot and uh and uh yeah just settle down with some delicious expedition food really and <laughs> and there, there was probably never enough of it because i think it was just the leftovers from charlie's expedition which he'd eaten most of it already all the good stuff I, m- I remember the first night of that trip we we landed at ibiza airport and um i had no idea what was going on really and charlie just said okay we're going to get a taxi to this spot and it was completely pitch black when we arrived at this beach, which was going to be a good start point. And we just we just rolled out our sleeping bags and slept there. And I had no idea where I was. But it was, <laughs> um, but it was okay because I think we'd bought a big, big bottle of whiskey in the airport. So oh, I had, had a little bit of that. And um, straight away I was into the 
expedition kind of thing and yeah it, it felt good so we, I just stayed with it well, I didn't really have a choice <laughs> <laughs> obviously a big thing around expeditions and touring is the planning so would it be fair to say on that particular expedition you um, Charlie had kind of worked out the details what, what was your role there um well I I suppose I just packed a bag of everything I thought I might need and then we spent we spent a bit of, we spent half a day really um, prepping kit and making sure that we weren't doubling up on stuff um, when we all met uh, the day before in London. So there's always loads of um, planning to do and you've got to think pretty carefully about what you need. And probably that's one of the hardest things about doing an expedition is knowing what you need, um, making sure your team have got everything to keep you you know, safe and fed and watered and all that type of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I suppose I, I was pretty new pretty new to it but um there's a few different guys were on it and who all had a varying levels of experience and we kind of all clubbed together and worked as a team Mm -hmm. good stuff and um, how did that differ from your Menorca experience because again that was a circumnavigation I know Menorca fairly well it's a a lovely place to to paddle around um you, you did that with a couple of friends yeah, yeah. So um, once I'd done the Ibiza trip, I was obviously really hooked on it. And in between, I did a, a trip across, um, I did the Caledonian Canal over three days, mm-hmm. I think, um, uh, a couple, uh, maybe the year after. And the year, you know, so it was a couple of years between these trips, I did Menorca. And it was because I kind of wanted to, um, well, Kiko sum, sums up really well in the video of um, the Ibiza trip. You know, you paddle around an island, you get this sort of 360 degrees of experiences you know you have around the next corner you don't quite know what you're going to see um and then you've you've got and i've got that really tangible goal at the end of it you've you've paddled around and you've had to do it in a, um in a time period but i was i suppose i was a lot more experienced by the time i did the menorca expedition i kn- knew a little bit more about what kit we needed um we did a lot of planning up front um for several months just to make sure that we were all up to speed and everyone knew what they wanted to get out of it and i suppose um to some extent i led the expedition a little bit more there was lots more challenges um, in terms of the weather um, and the conditions that we were paddling in and we you know we had to just make sure everyone was happy and safe to to continue so um and i, I my experience i could pass on my experience to maybe less experienced members of the group um which felt good. Um, mm-hmm. which I suppose I'd seen that I'd learned quite a lot from it, really. Absolutely. And, and any time you're on the water every day is a school day, isn't it? So, oh, yeah. So, and, and you mentioned about the Caledonian um, trip. So that was from one side to the other of Scotland. Scotland is a great place to, to cut your teeth on these sorts of expeditions. How long did that take you to do? So I did that over three days. Um, and uh, again, after doing the trip, with Kiko and Charlie I was just really sold on the idea of SUP expedition and I'd had my eye on the Caledonian Canal for a long long time really um uh, lots of people had done it before and it's a really well set up adventure but I just never managed to do it and I Mm. had this big thing that I wanted to do it with some close friends but it never really worked out and I was trying to persuade Kiko or Charlie to do it but at that time she was planning on trying to row across the Atlantic so she wasn't really interested in doing any paddleboarding at that time she, she needed some oars rather than a paddle but um, I I actually she, she I remember the conversation she I was sort of a bit miserable because I wanted to do it with some people and she said well why don't you just do it on your own and I was like well I can't possibly do it on my own and that that whole thing then I kind of got set on that I would do it on my own and actually that 
became a complete new learning experience because mm-hmm. solo um, adventuring is is again a slightly different thing. Um, but I think reflecting on it, it was an amazing experience, and and now I really relish in solo things. Really, I, I quite like spending time on my own, and it was probably a really good. Um, personal development thing for myself really learning how to be with myself and enjoy it really um, yeah I do I do a lot of solo sailing now so and I, I love it I'd rather, rather go solo sailing than sailing with other people <laughs> never takes me <laughs> <laughs> I mean it, it really taps into the the whole sort of meditative aspect of stand-up paddleboarding I mean obviously lots been said about uh, mental health and its benefits in that direction so certainly I can see the attraction of you know paddling and obviously through that stunning nature through the uh, through the locks I I hope that the uh, wind was blowing in the right direction for you yeah yeah well we kind of I, well I picked I picked the route based on um on uh, knowing which way the wind was going to go and 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 you know we're lucky to be able to get really good weather forecast now and yeah had some fantastic downwinding and um, there's a there's a four part um sort of vlog series on Supporter I've vlogged the whole thing and and uh yeah it kind of gives you a bit of insight into into the journey that I was going through really because it was probably the, one of the first times in about five years that I just stopped and I turned off my phone and yeah I had some cameras there. And, and bits and pieces but I didn't I didn't look at phone or look at emails and and that was a really good from a reflective point of view to just sort of um I don't know what's the just to sort of come back and be like oh yeah I came back with a a real sort of fresh invigorating sort of outlook on where I wanted to go next absolutely and those videos I'd highly recommend and we'll link to those in the show notes and there's also quite a substantial piece of of how to in there quite apart from the inspirational stuff so uh absolutely outstanding and um reuben of course you uh bit off what's probably the everest of uh, of touring experiences which is to take your family off for a for an overnight expedition how how was that <laughs> the everest i like that well start i've only got one child at the moment that that helps a lot <laughs> <laughs> Um, but no, it was, to be honest, it was absolutely incredible. I mean, it was one of the best experiences I've ever done in my life. And I've done a lot of, you know, I'm lucky that I've gone out and searched these epic experiences. But doing it with a family is, it's different to like what Will was saying, your solo. The solo adventure is incredible and it, and it pushes you. But, but when you realise you are changing or helping or progressing somebody's life, like Lucy, my wife, you know, like Lucy's or Izzy, or my girls, our little girl Mm -hmm. it's sort of yeah it's incredible it's just a phenomenal feeling and it's so nice to see that enjoyment um but for you know it wasn't really a a mammoth didn't feel like a mammoth task it didn't feel like possibly because you know a few things we knew the route that we were doing we planned with the weather we knew our exit routes it may look in the video like i'm a bit like just get on with it and never camped in my life which i haven't really but the actual (laughs) safety side of it is there and it's all thought out we we don't take Mm -hmm. the risks that we don't you know you don't want to put yourself or definitely your family into um but it was an incredible experience to see something like that affect especially a young child you know just some phenomenal mm. experience that she hopefully will want to do again and again and and also encourage her friends to do it with their parents which is the biggest thing that we've noticed from mm. and the responses of the video you know we we did that blog not as any means I'm not, I'm personally, I'm not personally likes to share stuff. I don't need to 
I don't go on Facebook. I'm not. I'm. The, I'm the. I'm like an anti. Will calls me. It's funny. I'm like the most a social unsocial person because I've got this <laughs> massive social presence. But actually, I'm not a real. This is what I'm doing today. This is what I'm doing today. And and we did that video just to really hopefully inspire people to realize they can do this with a a family, a small family. Um, and it doesn't like you said earlier. It doesn't have to be a a weekend. It could be a, an afternoon. It can be. Mm-hmm an hour you know but it can be done and it and it should really be done and encouraged yeah and and, and the really really important thing there is um you know coming back to it again is is the planning and, and this is certainly something that we've seen uh from all of our guests who've gone on sort of small or, or large expeditions you know because potentially you're quite exposed on a stand-up paddleboard you know there is a huge amount of underpinning information yeah. you, you really need to get to just going out in the hope that it's going to be okay is is not not a, a sustainable strategy so we'll talk a little bit about the the planning a bit later on but i was i was very impressed by the uh by the kit that you brought out there i think you know you had everything you had the cold beers you had the cornish pasties it seems like the front end of the journey was almost entirely uh, um driven by by pasties um and and a, and a beautiful, beautiful spot. And and also, we were, of course, privileged in the video to see Izzy's first wave. So, uh, that actually, well, we, it's sort of things that pop up that we don't, you know, you shouldn't plan. Well, you should plan everything, but at the same time, you shouldn't. You, these situations, if, if it happens like that and the wave was perfect and she wanted to have a get, give it a go. And I think that's the one thing I will say with, with, with kids is, is just take your time with them. Don't force them to do anything and make everything as fun as you can. And they will and stop as regularly as you can and they and they will want to be a part of it but if you as soon as you start saying we've got to keep going which is really hard with the journey if you want to meet a certain point from a safe point mm. of view, you know so maybe don't plan that out as far and we'll talk about planning in a bit but yeah just take your time with kids but it is amazing to uh, watch and have them along so into the sort of nuts and bolts of, of touring so um as a touring newbie uh, there's clearly a, a huge variety of different models of touring and exploration that can happen we've already mentioned the sort of the multi-day um uh, the multi-day versus sort of single hour i guess yeah. um type trips that uh, you can you can go on so but if we sort of just sort of expand it to say an an overnight um that that would be sort of i guess one of the um the main commitments that people make when they go out touring for the for the first time what what are the sort of options or what sort of variations do you think of that overnight um, are there available to do if you're looking at it from a very top top level down will do you want to go on that yeah yeah well i think i think um we tried to define what touring was in a series that we did last summer and really just be going around the corner pushing yourself slightly further than you might have gone already and seeing something new it doesn't have to be overnight like you quite rightly say and I, and I think in in that in that piece when I say what is sub touring we talk about um how you could go overnighting but it doesn't have to be mean, mean that you have to carry your own camping kit you could just paddle to a b&b or a hotel um you know on a canal and do it do a slightly more uh, luxury um, version of sub touring but um and then of course you've got side which is about camping and means that you have to carry more equipment you have to have more equipment 
um, you have to do a bit more planning. Uh, but actually, probably I, I look forward to the camping bit to some extent more than the paddling bit because I, I really like that side of it. Um, so, so let's talk a little bit about um, the, the actual equipment itself. Do you need a specialist touring board to go touring? No. Oh, absolutely not. No. You, you... My last touring, I didn't do it on a specialist touring board, was it? It was an 11 foot by 32 inch all round board. Um, and I chose that because I knew that it could take a lot of equipment. I mean, the stuff... He wanted to take his cool box. Exactly. I mean, the thing is, the difference between Will and me is, is that I, I go, right, what am I taking on the journey? And when I mean what am I taking, I mean, am I taking my spearfishing stuff? Am I taking my fishing stuff? Am I taking my snorkel? You know, I, I'm thinking like that. Will's like, I'll take a tent and all that sort of stuff. And I'm thinking about toys around it. Like, Izzy's like, can I take my bodyboard? I'm like, no, we can't take your bodyboard. We're going sub touring, you know? So (laughs) for me, it's my vessel and my board is much more, less about speed. It's more about, you know, equipment carrying Mm. capabilities. Um, So you do not need a touring board, but, you know, there are so many advantages to having a nice board to paddle, Um, especially, and this is a big one, if the weather doesn't go the way you think it is so for instance while our family touring trip we were doing a light downwinder all the way so we didn't really have to paddle we could have just drifted down there mm-hmm. um, but if the wind with i was going on a longer touring with a changeable forecast and i knew the wind could maybe come on my head on my nose i wouldn't really want to be on a slower all round board i want to be on a board with a bit more length but we'll mm-hmm. use lots of different touring boards i mean what you could what do you think will yeah, I, I think you know. I like I like going fast. I like having I like having a a, a board that's going to do the job. And so if I've got a chance of a downwinder, I want it to be able to perform mm-hmm. downwinder. Um, if if I want to be able to pack it up, you know, I I'll choose the inflatable. But you know, I, I I like to. I suppose I like to be really efficient. A lot of the things yeah. jobs that I've done in the past are all about driving efficiency. So I want to know that I'm being efficient with the things that I'm taking. That's just a sort of personal thing. But yeah, you can you can tour on absolutely anything. And when we get questions, uh, ask the experts questions through Stuckboard Pro, um, often when someone wants to get into sub touring, we sort of say, well, what, and they ask what board should I get? You, we ask them questions about, well, what type of touring do you want to do? Because the discipline of touring is so wide. It's mm. what, I, what I would do is very different to what Ruben wants to do. So it's going to be, you know, there's going to be loads of different, people wanting loads of different things and when you start out you know you can do it on your 10 6 by 32 can't you yeah absolutely mm-hmm. yeah but it will give you the taste i think the thing about doing that is it gives you the taster to think oh i am going to get into touring i want to go further i want a faster board and then you can choose whether you opt in you know so you haven't got to change you haven't got to buy your touring board to go touring and spend all that money at the first place um, which is definitely yeah. a good move because in a day for, for all of us, you know, that's what Supboard is always about. It, it's making sure you buy the best kit for you. And you don't, we're not, I've never said you need to, you have to buy this, this board is the only one that does this job because that is, that's total rubbish. They all do pretty much. I mean, when I first started sup fishing, I started sup fishing on my starboard 7-Eleven because that was a board I had and it was absolutely mm-hmm. useless and I was underwater and it was really hard and I fell off all the time, but I still caught fish and I still loved it. And it still made me realize that, I need a bigger board. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, so it's the, so the the eternal truths about stand up paddling, which is, and you won't know this, Ruben, because you're not on Facebook. But the eternal question is, which board should I get? Which, of course, is a incredibly elastic question. And also, the uh, I always need one more board than I've actually got, which is the uh, the other great great truth. But you're absolutely right. It's all about um, trying a sport. You don't need um, or trying a discipline before you actually buy the specialist kit for it i mean i've got a a, a mistral all-rounder inflatable that i've had for a few years and that's taken me into everything you know downwinding surfing um touring um even a little bit of racing and it's not the best board for either but it's given me a decent taste and a real appetite yeah. for all of those other disciplines so yeah it's yeah. just about um how you get into it so in terms of, of safety, obviously safety is a, a big thing. There was, um, you know, the inevitable incident, I think, recently um, with, I think, a fatality down um, in, I think it was Devon or Cornwall. Yeah. yeah, down in Cornwall recently. But in terms of, of safety and, and that sort of, first of all, in terms of pre-planning, what would I be looking at and looking for as a, a touring newbie? Um, I think I think you have to you have to think about the planning. So if you're if you're taking yourself around the corner into a new environment, you need to try and I, I suppose uh, be be risk be risk aware. So think about things that could go wrong because you're going further. You know, what happens if the wind changes? You've just got to understand some of those risks and try and do your own personal risk assessment um, and we, we cover quite a lot in that and what how to plan a, a touring exploring expedition but you've, you've got to you've got to try and understand some of the you've got to know some of the your current unknowns if that makes sense by mm -hmm. become aware of some of those risks um you've got to push yourself if you want to push yourself and you want to get into top touring you might have to do some things that you don't quite you know you're not it's outside of your comfort zone, um, but the challenge is to learn what um, could go wrong. So having a good understanding of the weather, the tides, um, currents. If you're looking at doing um, uh, coastal paddling, you've got to be very aware of some coastal tidal effects um, and mm -hmm. do your research. Um, and then make sure that you've got the, the equipment that if you do get into trouble, you can raise raise the alarm. and the absolute best thing to do that that everyone's got is a mobile phone but you know you can go a lot further than that with vhf radios and personal locator beacons and all sorts of stuff but um yeah there's there's absolutely loads that you can do and i think you just have to do your research ask ask questions ask people who are more experienced yeah yeah mm -hmm. definitely. I, and i just push on what will say it's just it's just the the weather is the paddleboarders problem yeah if there was no wind every day and it was flat calm we could paddle anywhere we wanted to yeah but it's mm. never like that and you know unless you're in certain nice little islands but i was in, even the islands you paddle around will they're not like that but so if if i, if I was going to give any one big tip is just understand the weather wherever you're paddling really well and just understand that the map the lie of the land where does it look and just and and like will says your exit routes if you can plan an exit route every 200 meters or something goes on mm -hmm. I'll get out here something i'll get out here then then and you're staying close to shore then paddle, it is incredibly safe, you know, in that sense. And you haven't got to, you can go around the corner. Yes, you might have to walk when you're on land. You might have to hitch a lift and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, you've got to think about these risks 
in the greater scale how bad they really are and if you're on the land it's okay but knowing your weather and knowing your route and the map the, the area you're paddling in well is definitely the biggest point to anything so if you do start in your local area and you do know it it obviously you've got a leg up and it's already easier for you to understand and work out your route which is definitely one of the things yeah yeah absolutely so so it's about it's about talking to other people it's about doing research online and you know following videos like like the ones that um that you've got up you know you, you can learn from all of those experiences and from other um, people's experiences directly yeah um so at, at the moment as we speak jordan wiley's doing his pa- um, paddle around britain and uh you know he, he's obviously an incredibly gritty guy yeah. years in the forces and and I, I suppose he's the real example of how weather can really um take a toll on um on touring plans he's clearly very well planned up but he's had a particularly tough time um covering the south coast of britain how closely have you been following his trip I'm fairly closely. I dabble in and out just for my, you know, because all the videos and the other content we're, we're making, we're all over the place. But um, mm. I, I do know, and I haven't known, you know, and also like Charlie Head is another one. He's very much an, an early grit pioneer, sort of just get on with it sort of guy, which is the way you have to be to do that sort of adventure. And I think um, the problem with the UK, the UK waters is it's just, it's a nightmare for wind tide mm-hmm. conditions everything is against us isn't it will that that piece of water is just not good yeah yeah i think there's there's so many challenges the tide we deal with quite a huge amount of tide the weather changes quite rapidly um you know he's he's got he's got around some some of the more challenging bits but he's he's certainly got some big challenges still to come mm. uh, but it, mm-hmm. it's, it's an awesome uh, these adventures are, are great because they really get into the mass media as well and um, so people see that paddleboarding can be something that um, you know you can have a, a good adventure with, and you know a, a lot of people see paddleboarding um, as as oh it's not that's not for me it's not going to be exciting it's all about paddling um, round in circles on, on a lake in bikinis, um, mm-hmm. but actually there's so much more to the sport if you want to take it and uh, you know I, I think that there's there's something exciting for even the most um, full power adventure junkie with paddleboarding really um and trips like jordan's help help people see that absolutely definitely i mean i i, I mean we, we came in because both me and will we we're quite you know full-on windsurfy wave sail-y I'm, I'm a bit addicted to anything that's sort of water and fast and high and and but paddleboarding fits it perfectly i love it i don't I, it just works it works it has that massive adventure peel and you can push it if you want or you can like you say paddle around in circles but yeah, just just going through the sort of tick list of things that touring newbies would would want to know about, or at least to be introduced to. And and you've mentioned some of this stuff already. Uh, planning your route, obviously, um, absolutely essential. So you you talked about um, exit points and so on. What other considerations would you need to make when you're you're planning your route? I'll I'll say one. Well, if you're pa- planning with others paddling with others, planning with others, paddling with others, um, make sure you are a similar level or you are willing to wait for that slowest paddler. That's a, a, a basic one, but it's such a key one that I've seen people sometimes go off across the bay and in, safely, but then their third paddler will be 150 metres behind the group and then it gets further and further and further. And then, so make sure you, if you are paddling with others, you're a similar level and you're willing to paddle to the slowest paddler. 
Yeah, when we've done some of the trips, the longer trips uh, around Menorca, which was a seven-day trip, you know, there, there was a lot of expectation setting, really, before we even set off um, that you can apply to even the most simple paddleboarding um, adventure. And we, you know, we all, we all knew that we, we all had to understand our own, each other's ability and know where particular pieces particular parts of the trip were going to be slower for some and how we all needed to stick together and support each other through that so yeah it's it's, it's a, a trip like that is is real teamwork really yeah um, mm. it's not on the face of it you won't think well how's you know, all individually paddling but you know you know i remember the, the end of that trip I, I was shot like on day seven we had a long upwind paddle and i and i was done and um i i, I was really suffering with sh- sore shoulders and things and you know, the rest of the team, they waited for me and, and pulled me through that. And other times, you know, I'd helped um, other people, you know, get, get get through things that were challenges for themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose another tip, if we're talking tips for, for newbies or anybody, is um, tell tell people, tell people, tell people. So tell, tell your friends where you're going, what you're doing. Tell some other friends what you're doing, where you're going. Tell the local Coast Guard, phone them up, say, I'm planning on doing a route from here to here. I will have these exit points. You know, tell everybody because mm-hmm. I have this thing of when I see people changing the subject slightly, but going downwinding offshore and they're miles out to sea and they'll see two very competent paddlers paddling fine, no problem at all. But people on the beach, on the cliff, on the road see this and then suddenly panic and then they phone the Coast Guard. And, but if the Coast Guard has that phone call, oh, no, there are two people paddling around this coast at this time mm-hmm. i think they're fine they do not need assistance because they've called me so definitely telling people as when you first all stages of paddling is a very good thing to do except maybe if you're literally going from 10 feet off of one beach to another maybe you might not need to but if it's it's more about the confidence in yourself that if you want to tell others and and get feedback from others from professionals that are at the the coast guard are a prime example of that so definitely mm. i would advise telling people yeah, I think just don't push yourself too hard. I mean, the, the very first sub camping expedition I did, and you know, we don't have to be camping, but I paddled out of a place in South Devon, and I literally paddled probably half a mile around the corner, parked up on the beach, and spent the evening there. And because I, there was so much to learn about the camping piece, I didn't need to go paddling far. I, I needed to know how I was going to get all the equipment together. So keep it really simple. And and that trip, I actually wrote about that trip, I think. Um, I think you did, yeah. it, was about, it was about how you could go just around the corner and you could have this amazing time. And I, I hadn't gone very far from home. And, um, you know, that's that's just why Suffolk Adventure is so exciting. Like you said, it's the packing, it's the camping, it's the getting stuff, it's cooking stuff on the stove, it's making a fire. It's that sort of stuff which you do not do in your normal life when you're sat in front of your computer worrying about what Instagram post you're watching. You know, it's like, just forget about all that. Just get out there. Just get back to nature, however you want to do it, and just reset yourself. Exactly. It's all of that micro-adventure stuff, isn't it? Which yeah, is, you, you really don't is incredible. You don't have to go far. And, and just coming back to your point about the Coast Guard, I think um, – it's particularly appropriate for downwinding because um, intuitively if people from the shore see someone out in a, you know, X mile an hour wind, they think that they're in distress. And I know that there was um, a couple of uh, very experienced paddle boarders. This is sort of 
um, not stand-up paddleboarders, I don't think, but they were down there in uh, in Cornwall and they got intercepted. And um, I, I've had something similar down here. And the Coast Guard are actually uh, reaching out more to certainly local paddle groups to um, to find out more about the sport because clearly they don't want any of those sorts of false alarms if they can uh, possibly avoid yeah. them. I mean, we're, we're starting to work with the RNLI and we're starting to try and... Because they need educating as much as... Mm, exactly. The sport, like you say, yeah, so it's... But at the same time, a lot of this can... The worst thing is if you know you're okay, you're, I'm all right, I can paddle from there to there, and you can, but you have to tell people that you mm. are doing it because they will panic and then they will send out a, a rescue team and then it will cost £20,000 and you'll be like, what's that achieved? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's just a simple thing. And, and at the same time, by you doing that and say, I'm paddling from this location to this location, it's going to take me two hours. I've got a tailwind of 15 knots. They'll understand that they, you're educating at that point. You are telling them about this is what's capable of paddleboarding in. Um, mm-hmm. Winging is another one. Like, you know, me and Will are starting to get wing foiling off the beach and the waves, but we're already starting to think, right, could we go for a mammoth wing foil downwind, you know, a big one? But the Coast Guard, they're going to see these new people especially when you're on a foil or a wing is it a windsurfer is it a kite surfer in distress they don't know what it is it's <laughs> a recipe for rescue written all over you you know even though you're absolutely fine and nothing wrong so it's very mm. important to educate the, even the yeah. i think and there's, there's probably a lot there's there's um i don't think it's very clear how you have to engage in you know how who do you call to call the coast guard to let you know is it mm. got local and i think that's some of the things that we're starting to think having having seen what's going on or has happened this year um you know, big boom in the sport um in europe and lots of people getting into it who don't maybe understand some of the risks and we, we're trying to figure out well how can we reach more of those people you know we reach a huge amount of people through the website already but how can we get to people more effectively um to hmm. get these to help them understand what the risks are because as long as you're risk aware you shouldn't be getting any any problems you just got to make sure people understand the, mm. the things and, and who, who do i contact who do i ask a question to and and those type of things and um we we've got some things going on that we're going to try and help help that for next year so. mm-hmm. yeah absolutely yeah, and it's a difficult conversation to have i think i think you know this obviously is an adventure sport and and a lot of people who get into it haven't had any water sports experience so they don't intuitively understand the risk and they just go out and and hope for the best but yeah i think i think that there's a lot of initiatives obviously obviously i mean we're we're also um sort of working quite hard on that safety aspect just to get a bit of um consistent information because all of the safety information tends to be in bits and pieces and um and all over the place and some of it's of variable um value i mean i, I know down here we've got a, a very new paddle boarding contingent some of the advice that goes out on facebook groups is just absolutely frightening and and usually given by someone who has the best intentions but has only been paddling for six months so um yeah i think i think that's some of the problem isn't it they anybody can be a complete expert behind the the front of uh an online community like a facebook group or a forum and um that's that's what we, we we always try to um, make sure that we've got a good understanding of it ourselves so we can share that and we can be a very valuable source of information um, w- where there's lots of potentially not particularly um, well-backed information going out. Um, so mm. there's a lot of people who will probably read it and think, oh, that's fine, brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good stuff. Well, 
I could quite happily talk about safety all day, but um, <laughs> let's bring ourselves back onto touring. Um, so in terms of kit, we've, we've talked a bit about the board. If, if I was, say, camping overnight, what are the sort of options there i mean obviously everything's sort of related to what sort of climate you're you're living in and uh, seeing as i guess in the uk we've got quite a varied climate um i guess we need to to work through a variety of choice so what what sort of things will would you would you bring out let's say on your your scotland trip what what's your overnight kit look like oh well it's it's to be honest with you it's it's usually pretty similar whether you're going on one overnight one one overnight out compared to seven basically take the same kit because you need you know you, I, I, I like a bit of luxury so I don't bivy I prefer to to go in a tent which means that you're carrying a little bit more volume a little bit more weight but um if it rains you you're not getting dripped on the face uh, <laughs> and uh yeah I suppose I I just I always uh make sure I've got plenty of clothes lots of layers I generally um, have a really big down jacket that I might take even in the height of summer because it always gets much colder than you imagine when you're you're outside even in the summer um, so yeah I, there's I mean there's huge amounts of information on on the the vlogs I did of the Scotland trip but also in our what to take paddleboarding series and um, on a sub tour and things like that but yeah um clothing shelter and we break it up into all those different areas i'm probably not answering your question <laughs> it's too big that's the problem well, it's a, it's a, it's a massive it's a massive question it's a massive question so, so we, you know, you, there's a video on subboard that says what to take sub touring and if everyone watches that then you'll you'll have a pretty good idea um and uh, you know um so, some of some of the best best things probably the best things that I take would be that that down jacket, just because you just I hate being cold, and I, I always take a waterproof, even if it's not saying it's going to rain, because that waterproof will give me wind protection, um, mm. even if um, you know even if I uh, if it if it doesn't rain. And I I'm I'm pretty uh, I'm pretty geeky about the different bags that I take for different purposes because. I, I want to go out and I want to have a nice night's sleep in a dry sleeping bag and a dry tent. I don't mm. want that, that dry bag to have got all my gear wet because it didn't quite work. So I, I have lots of different bags um, and and there's a sort of a, a logic behind why I do that. So I'll have the main bag that's full of dry, full of equipment in individual dry liners, um, that type of stuff really. And it's I suppose I've just learned the way I like doing it over the years. Mm. It works for me. It might not work for others, but I think it's a good starting point. And then you can find out what personally you what works for you and 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 tweak tweak what we do. So you know, there's there's lists lists of information online about how I would pack for a sub adventure. And yeah, people should mm. do that. I was going to say the costs. Um, you can either spend a lot of money on tents, yeah, sleep bags, and 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 um, thermal rests and stuff. I mean, I'm the sort of person that Will's got like all the gear. And I got mm-hmm. no idea. <laughs> no, I, I know a little bit. I mean, yeah, I, I sort of, I can, I can get by, but I'm a bit more of a, there's some amazing, uh, amazing kit out there now. And, and yes, it can cost you hundreds and hundreds of pounds or, or you can, you know, you can do it in a, with a bivy bag and, and yeah. have, but I think the most important thing is making sure you're comfortable for that evening. And, and it goes back to planning the weather. And if it is going to be a rain, like Scotland's a prime one, you know, you're going to get wet, aren't you? There's going to be rain at some point, yeah. so 
uh, and definitely the small one. I always think go on Will's um, puffer jacket one. They're great as a pillow then because I can't <laughs> sleep without. I have to have a pillow of some sort, and mm. you know, having something you have extra clothes that you just pillow is just a simple tip that really definitely makes. Um, yeah those those inflatable pillows just don't seem to work mine always deflate or i end up yeah. on my face stuck to the wrong side or something like that so, uh, yeah, so. the pillow thing is always a funny one for me because i get a bit grumpy i haven't got the right pillow and i've tried so many different things and i actually take take my own pillowcase from home because i do that yeah extra on my face just inside yeah. <laughs> mm. yeah. stuff it full with with anything i've got there and uh, an inflatable pf it's not an inflatable pfd a, a normal um buoyancy aid is quite a good base as a pillow as well yeah i mean i've slept on an ice up before actually i've done that but you have to it has to be warm because that will take the heat out of you that cold sleeping on a big thick and you don't want it pumped that hard because it's like sleeping on the land exactly. you might <laughs> deflate it and then you got to make sure you pump it up in the morning and everything, but yeah, but there is so much kit out there and, and there is, yeah, there is some phenomenally good reviews externally to SUP about, you know, tents and stuff, but we are starting to do a lot more of that actually now on SUP because we realize a lot of you guys all out there want to know what's the best. I'm like a prime when it's the stove cooking. I, I, I didn't have a clue. I know that you have a thing and you've got gas boil and how it comes, but I didn't realize there's all these different types and jet boils and these and that. And that sort of stuff is phenomenal now. The speed, isn't it? Where you can cook, make water and pot, and yeah, yeah. make prawns jump out of the fire and everything. You know, it's just <laughs> there's, so, there's so many different kit options, and um, yeah, it's just f- finding the right thing and um, what, what works. But what, ultimately, you've got to understand what that. You've got to it's like our subwater reviews. You've got to understand the pros and the cons of a product to understand whether it works for what you're wanting to do. So. Mm. Uh, you know, do, do you want to be able to just boil water? Well, jet boil is going to do the job well. If you want to cook cook eggs on a uh, on a jet boil, it's not going to work out too well. You know, <laughs> um, but yeah, you've just got it's just about getting information, understanding pros and cons. Yeah, exactly right. And and I think the other thing, just the flip side of it, is not to get too obsessed by the quality of the kit. I mean, when I spoke to Lizzie Carr, she basically paddled from um, south to north on the the canal network with. I think an alloy paddle and just a very, but you know, I mean, you do not need, you know, all singing, all dancing kit. It just needs to, to be, as you said, sort of, um, you know, practical and, um, and do, do the business. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, on the Scotland trip, um, I used, uh, I, I had some very basic, quite inexpensive kit. So I was in a two man tent that was, you know, I think about 75 pounds and, um, you know, pretty basic stuff but just just compact enough to be able to get into my dry bags but you know you spend you spend three four times that much on a tent you you save a few kilos and a little bit of volume but the the benefit isn't huge um it, it's just it's a really it's a nice to have you can sup you can sup tour on a real budget yeah mm-hmm. And and sometimes it's just getting out there until you get out on the water, until you've spent, you know, the, um, the night wild camping or whatever. You don't really know the, the relative benefits of each exactly. piece of kit. So it's just getting your hands on. You can do all of this stuff in theory. It's about getting out there and, and doing it, which is the important thing. Absolutely. Yeah. In terms of um, sort of advice to newbies or, or any sorts of uh, tourers, uh, is there anything here that we we haven't covered which you think is sort of particularly crucial to an enjoyable touring experience take lots of water you always underestimate how much water you need that's what i'd say yeah i'd, I'd definitely a uh, hat a good hat and sun cream because it mm-hmm. you 
you know, if you're in a sunny climate, like your trips abroad will, you need a good hat. You, you're going to fry sunstroke and then you are, you're in a really bad place. You want to keep hydrated, sun creamed up, hat, keep covered up. That'd be my mm-hmm. advice and lots of water. Yeah. Then you can think, sorry, then your decisions are, are clear and, and everything. It all comes back to water and hydration. It's very important. Food is important, but hydration is even more important, I would say. Then. Yeah, yeah. Water is a really interesting one. It can be quite hard to find water. Um, and I think you, have to, you just have to think about what could go wrong because of what I'm doing. And um, so you don't always have to take a pump. I don't always take a pump if I'm touring on an ice up. But just think, well, should I, if I took that pump, then it means that if this happens, or, you know, if you've got a puncher, mm. um, you could solve it. Whereas, but, you, you know, if you knew that you weren't going to be far from home and if it all went wrong, you could still get away, then fine. you just got to think about the risk and, and try and try and go that way. Um, Ruben's got a good story about um, puncturing ups when it's up touring. Have I? Yeah. Oh, I want to say that one. Sorry? Can I say that one? Uh, well, you have to now. I have to now. That is um, uh, separate. It basically involves fish and sharp fishing spikes and um, uh, a board that got a... Uh, but not hooks, not hooks. No, no, no. It was actually... For, and the funny thing was, I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll put the fish on the front of the board before I release it take a photo because the readers will have that. <laughs> it flipped over oh dear i just put myself into it anyway i just put put a uh a refract strap around it and fixed it pretty quick proper heat on but no fish spiky fish for you fishermen out there not fishing hook fish yeah. <laughs> um, yeah it's so much fun to have so many adventures you do you need a little bit of risk that's the whole thing really unfortunately i know that some of you might go no no you can't but you need to have a little bit of i'm not saying punchy a ball with a with a fish but i'm saying you need to have that little bit of you need to plan your journey but you also need to accept the fact that you have got a risk and that is what makes it feel even more enjoyable isn't it and it's the risks that make it that push us and um you know make it that, that grow us as as individuals um mm. so, you know we did we did there's a short documentary about half an hour long called days of opportunity on the menorca um circumnavigation and you know a lot of that is talking about the challenges that we had in terms of the the environmental challenges the weather the wind and the struggles that that you know that wasn't because of bad planning we just it was risky stuff but we we could get around it but that's overcoming those problems are what made mm. so amazing and you know we don't talk about the good stuff we talk about the challenges probably when we when we all get together after that trip now exactly and that that's where the experience comes in yeah. doesn't it and and you know but it, it's a question of dialing that risk up gradually rather than sort of going for the for the really uh, really big risks so it's about knowing where your levels are and then just pushing over it and, and that's where your experience and, oh, and well, your soul's so. growing yeah definitely um so obviously we're in slightly restrained situation at the moment we're all kind of uh, locked down to varying different yeah. degrees so obviously there's a lot of from will at the moment sorry <laughs> i'm across the room i am will <laughs> i think you probably class as one household or whatever they yeah. they call it but um in terms of the future and when all of this sort of stuff finishes and you get the prospect to sort of release and go out and do a do, do an exploration um go out on an adventure multi-day um trip where where would be your sort of fantasy um location to go and do that if money was no object gone well you probably got one already 
Oh, see, see, my, my, I'm, I'm kind of getting into this thing where, um, I actually quite like the idea of just doing stuff really close to home. I know that sounds really sort of rubbish, but I'm really enjoying learning, finding like places really close to home that, uh, that I think give, give me more than I've ever thought. So I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not dreaming about going anywhere amazing. I'm thinking about what can I do just around the corner so I can, you know, do it every week rather than just have to think about doing it once, once or a year or once every other year. It's, mm. it, it sometimes makes me feel a little bit lame. <laughs> no, well, do you, do you know, do you know what will, you know, you either go broad, so you go lots of locations or you go deep and really get to know whatever areas um, you're operating in. And, uh, you know, clearly there's, you know, there's benefits to both. Um, conventionally, it's all about going broad, but, um, you know, it's all about expertise and and just really understanding your area and certainly having spent a lot more time in the area that I paddle down on the south coast of the um um of, of england it, it it you know i've learned a huge amount during this period which i wouldn't have done if i was just sort of uh, pinballing everywhere else so no i absolutely uh, i absolutely get that how about you ruben i think if if obviously from now on it will probably always be well until izzy gets a teenager and doesn't want to do anything with us but it'll be a family adventure but we still we we would like to do it's probably more cold climates probably norway's scotland Mm-hmm. or you know it could be even colder than that if if we manage to get our gear sorted out iceland greenland you know that those sort of places are really uh, just sort of amazing adventure potential to have but then you know when i go to plan those routes i will have to up my game with the planning understanding mm-hmm. speak to the local parallel community really research my local weather patterns because i'm a bit of a you know I know weathers and how they move and tides and all this sort of stuff. So I'll feel out of my, out of my comfort zone there. So, and definitely from a family point of view, you want to make sure you're um, fully on it. But yeah, if I was abroad, probably those sort of places, I would say, yeah, that would be my next step. Fabulous. It's a really funny one, isn't it? Because it's, for me, it's about, um, I I just kind of love the experience and it, it sometimes doesn't really matter where it is because whatever happens, it's always going to be a bit challenging. You've got to paddle it certain distance and you know if you're in in a cold climate you've got to deal with the the cold climate but you know any any if you say right i'm going to do i'm going to paddle from one end of the country to the other like lizzie car did you know it's it's you know whoever does it it's going to be a challenge and Mm. happen weather will happen which will make it the adventure and so kind of i don't know you've just got to feel that you're for me just got i've got to just feel that i'm pushing myself a little bit um to widen my comfort zone i just get a bit addicted to that Mm. and yeah that is the only problem that is the problem you have to warn people if you haven't done a sub venture mm. yet when you start <laughs> start off obviously small and comfortable and plan your route and all that sort of stuff and do it local to the area so you feel confident but then when you start you will be addicted and you will do more and you will go more and more and more and more which is amazing but it's the start of a different lifestyle that you will just be ready for let me just say <laughs> you will have more boards than you imagine you will have more tents than you imagine and and that will be start of uh, an amazing yeah. yeah i think i could have I, I think i could have five or six different touring boards for different type of touring yeah. and uh which is scary and cause... we've already talked about making a custom touring board because we don't i don't know if we should talk about this yet but we're not even the market we still think has got a massive potential of having these really performance custom touring boards where you put the kit inside a bit more like a sea kayak you're sitting lower down you're standing lower down mm-hmm. in the board there's a 
and I mean we'll keep bandering if we had more time we'd probably try and shape one ourselves and um, but yeah that, that's the sort of thing I think which hasn't happened yet in the sub market we are going to see some extraordinary developments away from this traditional board basic shape put your kit on top to something which actually you transport your kit in you'll still stand up paddleboarding it it'll still be the same size but it would mean you could paddle in more conditions harder conditions and paddle faster for longer well i i can speak on behalf of nick to say that we'd be more than happy to review that for you okay yeah so uh, so there we go so uh, yeah and i think there's a lot of technology out there that's used you know um, cross atlantic trips and um and all of the sort of canoe and kayak touring that that could definitely be uh, used on sup so sounds very exciting good stuff guys well we're up against time here really really appreciate um all of your expertise and advice and obviously we're gonna have a whole load of links uh, in the show notes through to to all the videos and the various explainers and how to's that that we've uh, mentioned as part of this episode where can we find you online guys well, you can, well, best to just type in Supporter on Google. It will come up. SupportermAg.com is the official website. We're on YouTube. We're on Instagram. Will can tell you all the, the social links. Yeah. At SupportermAg um, is, is the, the Instagram, Facebook handle, whatever we call them these days. Um, yeah. Um, YouTube, SupportermAg. Just make sure you click subscribe because YouTube's really good at telling you when we put new stuff out. Yeah. Um, and uh, sign up to our, if you get onto supportermag.com, sign up to our newsletter because we push out quite a lot of newsletters um, for Supporter and Supporter Pro. Um, so there's loads of ways that you can connect with us. Yeah. Fantastic. Thanks so much for your time, guys. It's been um, a real experience and you've certainly inspired me to go out, I think, to start with on a on a micro overnight adventure. I think I can just get one in before winter arrives. Thanks so much and look forward to catching up with you soon. Yeah, great time. Thanks for having us on. Cheers.